thank you all so much for joining me for another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and I might be a skeptic by nature, but I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and I present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I will present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports and we will see where the two meet. Join me in exposing the paranormal. This week, I will be covering multiple haunted locations associated with one event, the Lawson Family Massacre. And these haunted locations are located in Madison and Germantown, North Carolina. Let me start by saying that for those of you keeping track, it is not time for us to go back to the state of North Carolina. I did cover North Carolina in episode 25 of season 1, and I still have a few states to cover before I start cycling back to the states again. But, with Christmas upon us, I wanted to bring you a special Christmas episode. And to do that, I had to come back to my current home state of North Carolina to cover this paranormal tale. Fret not if you are one of the states that hasn't had your paranormal story told yet, as I will get to you in the next coming episodes. If you are looking for a story to get you into the merry spirit of the season, well, this may not be the episode for you, and you might want to wait until after Christmas to listen to it. If you are a fan of true crime, paranormal reports, and are ready to be scared, then this episode will be chilling enough to entertain you. So sit back and listen to this Christmas ghostly tale in the Victorian spirit of Christmas. This tale leaves us with not one, not two, but three possibly haunted locations associated with one family tragedy. And this is the story of the Lawson family, and how their legacy continues to haunt the history and possibly three places in North Carolina. In the early 1900s, Charles Lawson met Fanny Manring, and by 1911, the two were married. As was common at the time, they went on to have quite a number of children, which is eight of them to be exact. In 1918, the Lawson family moved to Germantown, North Carolina, where they had family in the area, so it was a good move for them. The family experienced some tragedy early on in their move when, in 1920, they ended up losing one of their children. His name was William, and he was about six years old when he died of catching the flu. Now, the Lawson family was not well off by any means. The family lived very modestly and worked very hard farming what North Carolina was very famous for, and that is tobacco. They worked on local farms, harvesting it, drying it, and kind of helping out in various parts of the process. After a few years of hard work, the family had saved up enough money to buy their own farm, 
instead of toiling away on other people's farms. In 1927, the family purchased their farm located on Brook Cove Road in Germantown, North Carolina. And that leaves you knowing the very basics about the Lawson family. So let's fast forward to the year 1929, just a few days before Christmas. 43-year-old Charles Lawson decided that it was time to finally ring in the Christmas season the right way. As a surprise, he took his wife Fanny and their seven children into town. The kids ranged from age 4 months to 17 years old, and as you can see, they had their hands full on a trip into town, especially as four of the kids were 7 years old or younger. The family went into town for two reasons. The first reason was as a shopping trip, with each family member there to get new clothes for their second reason for being in town. And that second reason was that they were getting a family photo taken in their new clothes. The family had never done this in the past, as it really wasn't something that many people could afford. This was, of course, way before we had cameras on our phones, and cameras generally weren't owned by anyone. Only the rich could really afford to even have their photo taken, so it was pretty surprising that the Lawson family could afford to do so. Their farm was struggling, and the family was known to be in quite a bit of debt. But regardless, the family was in high spirits and enjoyed the day in town. I will post the family photo on social media, so make sure you check it out. It's a bit creepy looking for sure, but again, this was black and white photos when people weren't really meant to smile. So just be wary that you're not going to see a bunch of excited smiling faces in this picture. The family was pretty excited and looking forward to really having the best Christmas ever. So what happened next really shocked everyone, and still shocks people to this day. Christmas Day rolled around, and the family began its festivities. After the morning gift-giving was over, 16-year-old Arthur left the family home to go into town and purchase gun ammunition. It was a family tradition for Arthur and his father to go rabbit hunting on Christmas Day, so nothing seemed out of the ordinary here. That afternoon, 12-year-old Carrie and 7-year-old Mabel wanted to visit their aunt and uncle for a bit and wish them a Merry Christmas. The two girls began walking across the farm en route, but their trip was cut very short. Their father, Charles, was in the tobacco barn waiting as he had known the two girls would walk this way towards their destination. Charles waited for the two girls to get close to the tobacco barn and when they were close enough, he lifted his 12-gauge shotgun to his shoulder. He ended up shooting both of the girls with the shotgun at a close enough range to kill them. He wanted to make sure the girls were truly dead, so he then used a club to make sure the deed was done. He then picked up the girls one by one and put their lifeless bodies in the tobacco barn. No one was any wiser as to what had happened. They all assumed that the two girls were well on their way to wish their family Merry Christmas. 
But Charles wasn't done after taking the lives of his two young daughters. After hiding the girls in the barn, he headed to the family home where everyone was continuing to celebrate the special day. Charles' wife, Fanny, was sitting on the porch watching her husband approach. He got closer and closer to the porch, and when he was close enough, he raised the shotgun to his shoulder yet again. I imagine Fanny was shocked and couldn't imagine her husband actually doing anything to harm the family, so she didn't try to run. But boy, should she have. Charles pulled the trigger and ended up shooting and killing his wife, Fanny. The remaining kids inside the house all heard the gunfire and scrambled to safety. Charles walked right into the house, shotgun raised, and first found 17-year-old Marie. The shotgun went to work again, further terrifying the kids in the house. With Marie gone from the world, he hunted down the two youngest boys, four-year-old James and two-year-old Raymond. The boys hid well, but their father found them and took their lives with the same old trusty shotgun. The last living family member in the house was four-month-old baby Mary Lou. He didn't end up shooting the baby, but he did take her life by using a blunt object. After this, his rampage was over. He had taken the life of every member of his family besides 16-year-old Arthur, who luckily still was not home from town. After committing these atrocious acts, Charles went around posing the bodies of his dead family members. He placed old folded-up sacks under the heads of the two girls out in the barn and pillows under everyone else's heads. He also crossed their arms over their chests, so it looked like they were sleeping. Time passed and some local family members stopped over at the Lawson family farm to wish them a Merry Christmas. But what they found was the aftermath of Charles's bloody rampage. What they didn't know at the time, though, is who had done this terrible deed and where was Arthur and where was Charles? In the meantime, Arthur returned, but I can't imagine how he could have felt coming home on Christmas Day to find his whole family slaughtered. Now, one note I do want to say before I continue with the story is, it's popular in all the written accounts that Arthur's father sent him on an errand that left him going into town. Now, this seems to be a bit off, as the nearest town was about 18 miles away, which is 36 miles round trip in the snow. That would have taken him an entire day to complete. So the most likely reason he was away is a report I found in a local paper, which says he was visiting a nearby uncle. Neighbors and police officers by this point were swarming the property and were on the lookout for where Charles might be. They looked everywhere, but found no sign of him, which is a little surprising as it was snowing out. So you think they might have seen his footprint. But regardless, a few hours later, they heard another gunshot in the distance, ringing through the air. Police immediately went into that direction to investigate the last gunshot, 
and what they found was Charles Lawson. It appeared from the looks of the scene that Charles had been pacing for hours as there was a pretty well-worn path around the tree there. This leaves people questioning, was he waiting here for Arthur to come home so he could finish off the entire family? This really doesn't make sense because you would think he would have waited in the home and caught Arthur by surprise. But regardless, we may never know as after his pacing, Charles ended up taking his own life with the same shotgun that he had used to kill his family. Everyone was stunned and couldn't fathom why Charles would have done this. They hoped for a suicide note, but all they found were two pieces of paper with unfinished handwritten notes on them. These two notes didn't say why he would have done this. The only things they said were, quote, no one to blame but, end quote, and, quote, troubles can cause. End quote. So as you can see, they don't really make sense. Like maybe he started them, but then couldn't figure out how to end them. Or maybe his mind wasn't working right anymore. But what do these notes mean? And why did Charles Lawson kill his family? One theory is that Charles was having incestuous relations with his eldest daughter, Marie. It's thought he got her pregnant, and this is what caused his murder spree. This was substantiated years later by a relative named Stella Lawson, who stated she overheard a conversation at the family funeral in which other family members were discussing how Fanny was worried about the sexual relationship between her husband and her daughter, Marie. This theory is further bolstered by Marie's best friend, Ella May. She stated a few weeks before Christmas, Marie told her she was pregnant and that the baby was her father's. It is said that Fanny was aware of it per Ella. Other friends and neighbors said that the family was having a lot of problems, but refused to comment further. So could the murders be associated with the fact that Charles was so ashamed and guilty that he felt he couldn't go on? He maybe didn't want his family's legacy to be based on his transgressions and decided to murder them instead. We will apparently never know for sure, but what we do not know is if Marie was pregnant at all, as we are relying entirely on hearsay. Autopsies were not done on the family as it really wasn't a mystery of how they died. And another thing to think about is Marie did have a boyfriend. And this fact does shoot a few holes in the theory that he killed his family to hide that he impregnated his own daughter. If she was pregnant, it could have been from her boyfriend and not her father. Another theory that might make sense relates to what happened to Charles a few months to a year before Christmas. There was some kind of accident on the farm and Charles ended up suffering a head injury. There are many reports about this and what happened from he hit his head on an axe or a hammer or a piece of wood. But regardless, it's believed that it happened while he was fixing up the family's farmhouse. So many people thought 
that this brain injury could have affected Charles' mental state and caused the massacre. There was an autopsy done on Charles after his death, and per most popular accounts, there were no abnormalities found in his brain. Though what I did find is that his brain was removed during the embalming process so that it could be assessed whether he had a head injury that would have made him murder his family. The brain was sent to John Hopkins Hospital where they examined it but found only mild signs of deterioration. I'm not sure what these signs of deterioration would have been, but the hospital didn't feel like they were significant enough to cause Charles to kind of go mad and kill his family. There's also another thing about this theory that makes it hard for me to swallow, and that is that this isn't how brain injuries work. If a brain injury is bad enough, that person would have been very different from how they normally would be. Family would have been very aware of the problems. It wouldn't have taken months to a year for some random flare-up to cause someone to murder his whole family. But it could have been that Charles was just a sociopath who hit it very well for 43 years. Or maybe he was involved in some religious centrics or some other reason I don't want to understand because, let's be honest, understanding a murderer or a sociopath sounds pretty terrifying to me. I did see some articles that mentioned that the family thought he was acting strange before the incident, but I was unable to confirm this from any credible sources. Could it be, though, that Charles Lawson didn't suffer from a crack on the head, but maybe he was possessed by an evil spirit, one that made him do these awful things? Could it be that he took his own life to escape the demon and what it had made him do? Again, we will never know. Lastly, I do want to point out that we cannot say for sure that Charles killed his family. No one witnessed any of the murders, and the sequence of events has been just speculated by police officers. It could be someone had perpetrated the crimes and then saved Charles for last. So, just something to think about. I'm not going to get into the further evidence and theories because, again, this is not a true crime podcast, but it is a paranormal podcast. I just kind of wanted to point out some of the main theories so that you could decide whether you think it was a possession case or something that was going on with Charles himself. After the murders, the Lawson family was laid to rest in a family graveyard. And the family members were all buried together in a mass grave, including Charles, who shares their gravestone. What happened after the Christmas Day Massacre? Apparently, the Lawson family relatives decided to make money off of the death of their family members. Marion Lawson was Charles Lawson's brother. And not long after the Lawson family massacre took place, Marion opened the farmhouse to the public, and it was basically used as a very, very morbid roadside attraction. He kept the home like the family had left it to allow the curious to experience the home as it would have been during the murders. 
This was to the point he even left the bloody head pillows out and all of the stains on the floor. Marie had baked a special cake for the Christmas Day celebration, and Marion left it out thinking it would add a good touch for the tour. He left it on display for quite a while, but grossly, visitors were taking raisins from the cake as souvenirs. Which, how disgusting is that? I mean, why would you want a souvenir from a murder site? To remember what? The murder scene? I mean, this is not like taking a seashell to remember a beach scene. Which leads me to just say that people can sometimes be the worst. Maybe, though, this isn't as terrible as it sounds. I did see that Marion didn't keep any of the money for himself. He used it to give to Arthur to pay off the debts his father had owed and kind of move on with his life. This morbid display of the home went on for quite a while, but eventually it did close to the public. And you might wonder what happened to the house afterwards. Well, this leads us to haunted location number one, the Lawson's home and the Lawson's barn. Eight people died on this property in horrible traumatic events. It sounds highly plausible that this would cause some of the family members' spirits to remain tied to this location. And if not their spirits, then possibly a residual haunting event. So, what are the reports that are associated with this property, the home and the barn? The wild part is that I actually couldn't find any. Tales of haunted homes were not as popular in the 1930s and didn't really become widespread more until the 1970s, when we pretty much get to the satanic panic kind of thing. This may be why no reports have been recorded, but it could also just be a case of haunted reports were just not written down and maybe were lost over the decades. There's no way to know, as you will find out in just a moment. After the murders and the subsequent use of it as a macabre museum, various other family members of the Lawson family lived in the home and it was even used as a rental property for the time. Arthur eventually did come back to the property to live in the home his family had died in. And he did so with his wife and his kids. It's hard to imagine him being able to live in that home after what had happened, but maybe he wanted to bring joy back to the family home after all that it had experienced. Arthur and his family were still living in the Lawson family home when Arthur passed away at a young age in 1935 after being involved in a car crash. He was then buried in the same cemetery as the rest of his family, but not in the same grave site. And up until this point, we have no haunted reports from any family members or any renters about any haunted occurrences in the house or the barn. The home passed through a few more tenants before it sat vacant. And after decades of sitting empty, the home and the barn at 2890 Brook Cove Road were demolished by the current property owners. The current owner, named Dela Kohler, has stated the family has never experienced any haunted activity in the new home built on the property or anywhere on the property at all. 
The property is now on their private land and the owners are not keen on people bothering their property for drive-bys, to take photos, and especially not to come onto their property. They're pretty upset about people thinking that they can just traipse on their property, look in the windows of their home, and they even leave the fences open on the property so that their horses get out. This leaves me to feeling pretty terrible for these new owners, so please leave their property alone, as remember, none of the original buildings remain. All that is left of the family home are some picture frames and a covered bridge which were built from the wood of the barn and the house. The covered bridge is on the property of this family as well, but you can see it from the road. You can take as many pictures as you want, but again, do not go onto their property. The spirits may have never stayed on here, and if they did, maybe they left when the home was gone. Though possibly, they didn't go far from the accounts that I've read. About a half mile down the road from the old Lawson farmhouse is a cemetery, and this is location number two of the haunted places associated with the Lawson family. And some pretty creepy stuff does happen here. Many believe these creepy occurrences have to do with the Lawson family because they are buried here. Each of the murdered family members were buried in one gravesite and they share the same headstone. Again, even the murderer Charles and Arthur again is buried right behind the mass grave. It is said that this cemetery feels very, very foreboding and that this comes with a sense of evil. It has even been said that EVPs of the children's voices have been recorded, but sadly the links are defunct, so I couldn't actually hear them. Orbs are frequently seen and caught on camera, and the next report is a bit strange in my opinion, but supposedly, if you sprinkle baby powder on the ground, you will actually see children's handprints appear in the powder. Now what's strange about this, my question is, who first thought to bring baby powder to the cemetery to see if this would happen? I don't know, maybe this is normal in paranormal investigations, I'm not an expert, but just seemed a little strange to me. There are also many others buried in the cemetery, so if the spirits prevail here, Who is to say it's the spirits of the Lawson family? Lastly, I do want to tell you about the demon in the cemetery. There is a picture an investigator took while in the cemetery, and I will post this picture on social media so that you can see it. In this picture, the demon seems to be leaning against a tree, and you can actually see his horns on his head. It's definitely pretty creepy for sure, so make sure you check out the picture and see maybe what you think. Another thing to keep in mind about the cemetery is that it is a private cemetery for a family known as the Bowder family. They allowed the Lawsons to be buried here as the Lawsons didn't have any other place to be buried at the time, and the Bowder family is private property, and trespassing without permission is illegal. So if you want to pay your respects to the Lawson or Bowder family, do so from the road. 
ghost hunting, and interest in history do not give us permission to disturb people or break the law. The world will not end if you don't see their gravestones, and there are so many haunted locations to explore out there. So please leave these families and their deceased relatives in peace. Let's move on to the third and final haunted location associated with the Lawson family. This is one that you can actually visit and investigate, so I'm sure you're breathing a little sigh of relief. We are going to leave Germantown and head into the town of Madison, North Carolina, to a place called Madison's Dry Goods. You might be wondering why the Lawson's tragedy and hauntings would have anything to do with a store in another town. Well, hold on to your seats as we continue this journey. In 1908, the Penn Hardware Company opened their store in Madison with the upstairs of the building functioning as a hotel called the Sterling Hotel. The store and hotel opened in the newly built three-story building located at 104 West Murphy Street. In 1915, the hardware company was bought out by three men who started using the upstairs as a funeral parlor versus a hotel. Business was booming, so they needed to expand and did so by buying up some of the adjoining stores to use for their store. I will post on social media an interesting ad the company ran where it basically says to visit them for your hardware needs and then randomly at the bottom says funeral directors and embalmers. It doesn't seem like at that time that they had an actual name for the funeral home. It was more just, hey, we know that they do it there kind of thing. It didn't actually get a name for the funeral home until 1931, two years after the Lawson murders. At that time, it was named the Knight Funeral Home after the owner at the time. And if you haven't guessed it by now... The reason the family is associated with this location is because this funeral home attended to the deceased Lawson family members. Many of the popular rumors state that this funeral parlor was chosen because it was the only one with an elevator that could carry all the coffins and bodies easily up and down multiple floors. Though, I'm pretty sure most other funeral homes had a first floor access but this place might have been chosen due to space and also them being able to perform the services of these bodies at the time. And let's be honest, Madison was kind of just as close as Winston-Salem was to this town of Germantown. And big cities are usually a little bit more expensive, so Madison might have been a cheaper option for the family. It is said that after the body preparations were done here, the Lawson's family spirits have remained here and continue to haunt the store that is there now called Madison Dry Goods. As I said earlier, you can now tour the property, but only during store hours. It does operate as a dry goods store where you can buy t-shirts and other knickknacks, but also does function as a museum. The museum features rooms dedicated to Penn Hardware, the funeral home, there is a 1920s kitchen setup, 
and of course an area dedicated to the history of the Lawson murders. Some of the setup in the museum includes an embalming room, there is a chapel, and a room that would have been for viewing your deceased loved one before they were buried. So not the most pleasant museum for sure. And while on this tour, you may be joined by something no longer of this world, the spirits of the Lawson family. Richard Miller has owned this property for over 25 years and says the ghosts are definitely real, but he says that they are totally harmless. Then again, some people might not agree with him. A number of people who have tried to go upstairs couldn't actually bring themselves to do so. And they said this was because the feeling of another presence was so strong that it wouldn't allow them to go up to the next floor where the museum was and the funeral parlor was. Another experience is that places in the museum feel about 10 degrees cold Older than the rest of the room without a scientific reason of how this could be. Then again, sometimes the room isn't cold, but people still get chills. The most common experience people have here is seeing a child, a little girl, and she likes to sit in the window of the viewing room and can sometimes be seen from inside the room or even from the street. Then again, Sometimes she likes to sit in the chair in that room and swing her feet back and forth like any little kid likes to do. One man actually asked the owner of the store if he had his daughter working there with him that day as he had seen the spirit of this girl so vividly. A few kids have also refused to go up to the museum or down the hall because they say they see a little girl and she's scary. Maybe this is seven-year-old Mabel or 12-year-old Carrie. These were the two girls that were murdered by the barn, if you remember. Creepy, right? Then again, this was a funeral parlor for decades, and I'm sure that hundreds of bodies came through here. So if it is haunted, we'd have no way of knowing if the hauntings are associated with the Lawson family. Maybe you can find out though for yourself and at the best deal possible because the museum is totally free to explore. That is, unless you see something in the store that you just can't pass up on buying. This story ends with eight people being murdered, three possible haunted locations, and a lot of questions. Is the old farmland haunted? and possibly the bridge made from the old wood of the home structures? Is the cemetery haunted? Is the old funeral home haunted? Lots to think about. And speaking of thinking, what did you think about this episode? If you liked it, make sure you rate and follow this podcast wherever you tune in, as it really does help this podcast move forward. And you can also make sure you're alerted when the next episode is ready to air. I will be posting pictures and links associated with this story. So make sure you follow Paranormal Exposed on social media so you get more of the story and can see pictures of the cemetery demon, the home, and more. You can follow on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, 
or you can always shoot me an email to paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in and supporting this podcast. I wish you all the happiest holiday season, whatever you celebrate, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.